My interview guest today is an Emmy and Academy Award nominee whose previous two films, Street Fight and Racing Dreams, have garnered multiple awards and nominations and are among Rotten Tomatoes' top 30 best-reviewed documentary lists. His latest film, If a Tree Falls, a story of the Earth Liberation Front, is a winner of the Environmental Visions Award from Dallas Film Festival, Best Documentary from Nashville Film Festival, and Best Documentary Editing from the 2001 Sundance Film Festival. Welcome, Mr. Marshall Curry. Thanks so much. Actually, it's 2011 Sundance Festival. Yeah, sorry, 2011. My bad. Um, Thank you for having me on. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for being here. Um, so briefly, what is If a Tree Falls about? And uh, tell us a little bit about your story and how you got involved with the project. Sure. Um, my wife runs a domestic violence organization in Brooklyn and uh, came home from work one day and told me that that day four federal agents had walked into her office and arrested one of her employees, this guy Daniel McGowan. And um, he was accused of burning two timber facilities in Oregon when he was part of the radical environmental group, the Earth Liberation Front, some years before. Um, and, and the government considered this group to be terrorists, and, and, and he faced life in prison for these fires. Um, and so that was kind of my introduction to the story. Um, and I wanted to kind of understand how this could have happened. Who, who was this guy, and, and, and what was this group that had... That had been called the number one domestic terrorist group by the FBI. Okay, great. Well, um, I was wondering, so how, like, when you approach a documentary subject, or when you approach, say, specific this story, how how do you do that? I mean, obviously, with this one, there's a personal involvement in your wife and this, that, and the other, but what... Um, you know, when you are approaching it and you say, okay, this thing happened, I want to make a film, like, what's your first couple steps? What do you do? What, what's your next step after this is the subject? Okay, where do I go? I guess for me, uh, there are a few things that I look for in deciding to make a documentary. One is, uh, is whether there's complexity in the topic, whether there is enough to keep me interested for the couple of years, in this case, five years that it took to make the film. Um, and, uh, in this case there was, I mean, the question of, of, of radicalization and, and, and environmentalist tactics and, and terrorism were all pretty rich, rich questions. Um, the second thing that I look for is whether there's some kind of a narrative arc because the kinds of documentaries that I make usually when they work, they, they kind of feel like movies more than documentaries. So they have characters that want something and, 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 and it, it sort of plays out like a dramatic movie. Um, and so in this case, the, 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 the arc of the movie is this guy's case from the time he was arrested until the time that he, he ends up eventually going to prison. And over the course of that, um, we, we kind of go into his backstory to understand what led him to, to, to take part in these fires and also you know, how the investigation worked, how the, the government was finally able to crack this group after so many years, and, and how the, 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 this wing of the environmental movement got so radical. Yeah, it was interesting. While I was watching the film, one of the things that really came to mind to me was I was reminded of the Weather Underground, or the, the Weathermen, uh, during the 1970s, um, uh, which uh, Bill Ayers and Bernadette Dorn, and of course, as anyone who was... Um, 
you know, keeping abreast with uh, the 2008 election became a huge, you know, controversial issue and this, that, and the other. Um, obviously, I'm assuming you saw these parallels and whatnot. How do you think that those things were the same or different um, when it came to the weathermen and the weather underground with uh, the ELF? Um, yeah, I definitely, I, I, the, the film about the weather underground is a really excellent, excellent movie. And, um, and uh, the group actually, the, the folks who were in the ELF actually thought about the weather underground while they were doing these fires and in the years past. And, and, and in some ways looked to that group as, as a model. Um, you know, one important difference was that the, um, the ELF uh, only used, not, not to say only as if it's not serious, but used arson as opposed, to, as opposed to using bombs. So they had these incendiary devices, but they don't explode. And, and, and they, they, nobody's ever been hurt in any of their fires, and they don't target, they don't try to hurt people. For them, uh, the, the fires are, are either symbolic property destruction designed to draw attention to something, like the Boston Tea Party, or they are um, uh, designed to, to, you know, cause financial pain to companies that they don't like. Um, of course, you know, the, to, from the perspective of most people, or, or certainly law enforcement and certainly the, uh, the, the folks who were the victims of the arson, um, to describe it as just property destruction is... is um, uh, a euphemism. I mean, it's it's kind of downplays the severity and the danger of these multi-million dollar arsons. Right, right. Um, now, you were uh, talking about uh, before about how you were looking for, you look for documentaries with a narrative arc. Um, right. And so, um, you probably answered this own question, but I am curious. So, a lot of times, are you looking for a particular person or protagonist more than a larger subject matter, and how does that work? Um, you know, is it is it the subject matter first that intrigues you, or is it that particular protagonist? It can be any of them, but but I guess I think of a of a successful documentary usually as needing three 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 legs. It's like a stool that needs three legs. It's got to have a strong characters, strong character or characters. It's got to have a narrative arc, and it's got to be about a topic that is complicated enough to be engaging after ninety minutes. Um, and so, um, in this case, uh, you know, it was definitely, the topic was definitely complicated. The narrative arc was, was, was interesting and dramatic. And our main character, um, was intriguing to me. And one of the things that intrigued me is how unlike my expectation of a radical environmentalist or, or, uh, someone who would be facing life in prison for, for domestic terrorism, how unlike that he was. Um, and to me, when, when a character or a, a, a topic um, flies in the face of my preconceived notions, um, that's interesting. And so, you know, Daniel McGowan is not Che Guevara. He's not Malcolm X. And, and he, he grew up in Rockaway, Queens. His dad's a New York cop, and, and he was a business major in college. And he's, um, he's really not what is the first thing that comes to mind. And, um, and so that intrigued me more or that kind of, to me, it gave regular people, um, a way into this story that if we had focused entirely on say Jake Ferguson, who's a, a character in the film, um, a much more 
incendiary character. He's got a pentagram tattoo on his head and is a heroin addict and is a, um, is a, you know, was involved in dozens of these ELF fires. If he had been our subject, I think in some ways the film would have been relegated to be just a freak show. But by having somebody who, who on the surface appears to be anybody's employee or little brother or somebody's husband or somebody's friend, um, it, it, it makes, um, it makes uh, the, the issues that the film deals with maybe a little more challenging. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting you were talking about uh, uh, Jake Ferguson because uh, that was something in the film that I was surprised at how little he himself was actually in the documentary, which I obviously I think, you know, the more interesting and compelling story in many ways was the, uh, was the McGowan story. But I, I really thought it, it was interesting, especially since um, he is the guy who's the main mastermind of a lot of these things, and then he becomes the, like, the guy who gets no prison time and then, you know, sets up the whole, you know, domino effect of everybody else going to prison. Which, I, I mean, you know, you can understand his reasoning when, you know, the FBI is behind him and this, that, and the other, but there's, I was, I was really interested. I was like, it was, he's almost like a, he's like, almost like a presence that's like a scary or villainous presence, but not there except for in right. the brief moments. Well, you know, we sort of built it that way intentionally to, um, to, to, to hold off for a while on seeing him in, in the modern day because by the time you finally see him, I mean, in that early footage of him, he's this sort of dark, sinister, charismatic, guitar-playing, cigarette-smoking, um, you know, Dionysus-type character. And, and there's, a, there's definitely a charisma there. Um, that makes you understand how he could have been, um, you know, so instrumental in so many of these fires. And when, in the, you know, in the last third of the movie, when we finally reveal him um, as he is now, um, I think people, you know, they do a double take because time has not been kind to him. He, right. Uh, both sort of physically and, and emotionally and, um, uh, and so, um, you know, one of the things that we decided early was, was to focus on one character. And all of the different folks who were involved in the Earth Liberation Front were very different from each other. Um, you know, the group included uh, dumpster diving anarchist kids who sold pot and lived in squat houses. It included a woman who was an executive at, at uh, Microsoft and did yacht racing on the weekend. It included, you know, Daniel McGowan, who had grown up in Queens and never spent the night outside of his whole, never camped out until he was in his 20s. Um, and so we knew we could either do a survey film that would just do a very thin profile of lots of different types of people, or we could take one character and, and really kind of dig in and try to understand the dynamic of radicalization and, you know, perhaps redemption that, that, that happened to his story. And, and we, we kind of nod to that in the, in the title of the film. We call it a story of the Earth Liberation Front and not the story of the Earth Liberation Front, because I think there are lots of stories that could be told, including Jake Ferguson's. Right, of course. And it, it's very compelling and interesting how... 
you know, and obviously you won best editing at this most recent Sundance Film Festival. And, you know, I mean, I, the first, the one thing that, that amazed me was the first 20 minutes is so efficiently and so well told and it just is dense, but without anybody losing, you know, their way in the documentary and it tells so much of the story. I feel like it's, it's so particularly good at focusing in on this one character, but then opening up this wider world and all of these other questions and uh, and I, I, that I feel like was a really amazing, interesting, compelling. What was the editing process like on this picture? Because I feel like, gosh, I can't even imagine trying to put all of these disparate elements and craft it together into this like you know streamlined thing that it is. It, it was a, it was a very difficult edit, um, and uh, I edited with with Matt Hamacek, who's a, a really terrific editor who worked with me on my previous film as well. Racing Dreams, um, and um, you know, we just hold up. He uh, w- while we were still doing pickup shoots, he was starting the edit, um, and was you know, we had hundreds of hours of footage. Some of it was was the verite footage of Daniel and his family going through this um, through this you know time of of of, of uh, you know facing these very very serious charges that could wind him up in prison for the rest of his life. Um, and then we, we just had a huge, um, undertaking to, to find all of the archival material that, that fills out the movie and lots of interviews with people that would, that would tease out the, some of the issues. Um, and so, um, but you're right there, those different threads, um, were very tricky to, to weave together the, the real time Verite story. Daniel's personal backstory and his personal radicalization, the radicalization of the movement, which kind of happens independently and eventually bumps into him at that same point in the late 90s as he's becoming personally more radicalized. And then the whole um, kind of cops and robbers story of how the group was was brought down. Um, And it's one of those things that when you're done with it and you watch it, you think, you know, that editor Matt and I would laugh and say, you know, I it seems so obvious that this is how it needed to be. But when you're looking at hundreds of hours of raw footage, it's uh, it's, it's a, a much trickier job of, of figuring out, feeling that way through the, through the forest. Yeah. I'm sure it's a pretty daunting task. Although you've had experience in editing before in your last two pictures, correct? Right. Yeah. I love editing and, and, um, and, and particularly with documentaries where, where so much of the story is, is worked out in the editor room. So yeah, I've always worked with other editors and, and Matt and I, we had an, an edit room and each of us would have an edit system with all of the footage on it. And, uh, and we would just pass scenes back and forth and I would work on his scenes for a little while and he would work on mine. And once we had a rough cut, we sat together, um, at, at one machine and kind of passed the keyboard back and forth hmm. saying, Okay, does this work, or how does this work? And move this scene around, and 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 you know, eventually, wound up where we were. Nice. I, you know, uh, another interesting thing I found in your bio is that you studied comparative religion, and I'm curious how much of that, you know, uh, prepared you for documentaries, and how much it didn't, and what, where were the steps between comparative religion and documentary filmmaking? <laughs> Well, that's a require. That's part of the requirement. You didn't know that. It's, uh, you have to study religion. Um, I think that they are similar in some ways. Um, both 
the job of making documentaries and studying comparative religion is kind of a curiosity about why people do what they do and why they think what they think. And, um, and, uh, so I think that the, the being able, you know, when I graduated from, from college after having studied it for a number of years, one of my friends said to me, you know, after all of this, I'm still confused, but just at a higher level. <laughs> and in some ways that was, that was our goal with this film because there are a lot of, of tricky questions in this film, a lot of unanswered questions. And I think there's something about, um, uh, about being a, a religion major that lets you uh, become comfortable with unresolved answers and, and, and not too quick to try to grab the easy answers. Because the more you dig into religion, uh, the more complex it is. And, the, you know, and, and I think the same is true with with a lot of serious issues including you know eco arson or you know activism or environmentalism the more if you really start looking around and hearing from different points of view um maybe you walk away with more questions than 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 with answers definitely um i'm, I'm curious you know what what were the films classic and contemporary that made you make that jump to documentary filmmaking eventually you know, what were the things that inspired you or continue to inspire you now when it comes to documentaries or narrative or experimental? Um, you know, I love documentaries and watch a ton of documentary films. Um, and I'm, and uh, I'm, I, I like a wide range of documentary films. You know, I love uh, um, Koyanis Katsi, you know, a, a completely impressionistic nice. film. I love, um, I love... Uh, Morgan Spurlock. I love, you know, Supersize Me. I love, um, uh, um, you know, the old, the old school stuff. I love the, the Maisel's films. I love Pennebaker's films. And, and um, uh, I, I, I think that the kinds of films that I make tend to be um, kind of character driven with, uh, with, with sort of a dramatic story arc. Mm -hmm. Um, but I certainly love films that, that don't follow that at all. Um, I, I guess probably I get as much from watching documentaries. I get as much from watching fiction film as from documentaries. And mm -hmm. when we're, when we're in the edit room, a lot of times we would talk about if this were a fiction film, what would happen now? And, oh, well, the secondary character would be introduced. Okay, well, let's, let's bring in Jake Ferguson and, and, or, you know, here's the point at which you want a twist, and here's the point at which um, you know you want your your gut kind of wants this or that to happen, and and so we we try to follow some of those some of those dramatic storytelling conventions, which are as old as you know Greek you know Greek plays, but but have been kind of carried through to to fiction film and 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 documentaries as well. Nice. That you know, that sounds very similar. I read a really great interview with uh, Laura Poitras last year um, for her film The Oath, and she was talking similarly how you know actually in many ways narrative filmmaking that was contemporary was more influential than than a lot of documentaries or whatnot. And I'm curious, uh, kind of transitioning a little bit, like you seem to have a lot of support uh, from other documentary filmmakers, like your first film, Street Fight, which was nominated for Academy Award, was exec produced by 
Liz Garbus and uh, Rory Kennedy, both documentary filmmakers in their own right. So I'm curious, like, what is that, like, support system? Like, how do you feel like you fit in there? And also, like, you know, like, who are the people around you who seem to, like, you know, constantly be, like, a, you know, an inspiring and supportive force? Um, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of Laura, uh, both her work and her as a person. Um, Liz and Rory were also really instrumental in, in, in helping me make my first film. Uh, Street Fight had been kind of this crazy passion project where I'd never made a feature-length documentary before. And I, uh, I, I, I had wanted to for years, but it kind of my career had gotten sidetracked by doing... Um, uh, internet work. So I, I had gotten into it doing um, interactive documentaries for museums, and then the internet had kind of taken off, and so the company turned into an internet company, and I stayed and did the Metropolitan Museum of Art's website and some other things like that, and finally decided I wanted to really make a documentary, and, and so I bought a camera and started shooting this film in Newark, and um, once I had shot it, uh, I didn't have any idea how to raise money for it or things like that, and, and Liz and Rory, who I knew, um, uh, um, offered to executive produce it and, 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 you know, were really great about helping me raise the money for that and, and, and get out the word about it. So, um, the documentary community is a really supportive community, I think. And in a lot of ways, I think it's much more supportive than, than maybe the fiction world. And one of the reasons is that there's so little that you get from making documentaries, you know, there's no money, there's no, you know, fame and glory, there's no, you know, it's just, uh, because of that, it doesn't attract people, the only people who do it are people who love documentary films and are curious about people and, and why they do what they do. And so, kind of the vultures that might get attracted to the money and fame in Hollywood uh, have, no, have no time for us, you know, documentary folks. And so... As a result, it, 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 it means that the communities um, is, can be pretty supportive and pretty, um, uh, and, and, you know, a, a group of people that almost to, uh, you know, almost 100% I, I really like. Do you think it's harder to make um, documentaries now and to even specifically make a documentary about something like in eco-terrorism or different things like that, um, like especially with the, the recent ruling in Arizona that the International Documentary Association is fighting right now about tax, uh, you know, uh, tax incentives for documentary filmmakers. Like, do you feel like at this point with, you know, with everything that it's easier or do you think it's with all these avenues opening up or do you think it's harder because there's more opportunity for marginalization and it's such an uphill battle to make any documentary? I think it is much easier to break into documentaries than it ever was. Just um, the, 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 the quality of inexpensive cameras and editing equipment is like never in history. I mean, just you can make a great looking movie that sounds great and looks beautiful when projected on a big screen and you can edit it on, on a, you know, a nonlinear editing system for very, very little money. And so that is, I think, great for the, for, the, for the consumer of documentaries because it just means that there's so much more product being made. Um, I'd say it's maybe it's difficult to 
um, sustain a career in making documentaries mm-hmm. um, bec- for the same reason, which is, you know, in the old days, probably, uh, you know, when these guys would, would make films on film, you'd, you'd have this incredibly expensive equipment and you'd have, you know, you'd have just a few people that knew how to edit with it. And um, it kind of created a barrier to entry, which once you were in, um, assured assured some kind of competitive advantage. And, and now, you know, everybody has to scrap for the same thing. And, and so it's, it's, it's sometimes a little tough for, for documentary filmmakers uh, uh, to, you know, who have kids and who are, you know, paying for school and saving for college and that sort of thing. But it's, uh, but it's great for, for, for the world of documentaries that it's so easy to get into now. Right. Um, now, uh, going a little bit back to the documentary. So obviously it's a very personal story and I have to say really touching. I feel emotionally moved and I feel like the more I wash over the film, the more I, I feel like I'm really affected, which I think is, you know, a great job of storytelling. But the film is, in many ways, I mean, it's about political issues, specifically dealing with the environment and law and justice and civil liberties. And I was curious, like, you got a look, a a pretty good look at the environmental movement and somewhat of a splintering and a disheartening, and especially between, you know, uh, the oil spill in New Orleans and Fukushima in Japan and the G8 seeming not being able to get together about these things. Where do you think that the environmental movement stands from your vantage point? Um, in some ways, I think it is less engaged than it was in the 90s. Um, certainly, the radical environmental scene is, is, is less visible than it was. Um, I'm not sure whether that is because people feel... Um, whether people feel so frustrated that they've given up or whether they have decided that some of the old tactics that were popular in the nineties, whether that's the civil disobedience tactics or, you know, certainly arsons and earth liberation front type activities, um, were not effective. And so instead they are working through other channels. I, I, I think that, um, that probably the world, or at least the United States um, uh, is more tuned in to environmental questions, um, you know, global warming and um, and uh, things like that than they were um, in the '90s uh, when when you know the environmental movement was somewhat marginalized. Now I'd say it's almost become mainstream for people to say, "Yes, I'm green." You know, we hear it at McDonald's recycle our, you know, paper cups or whatever. It's like, right. it's, it's not radical. It's not hippie. It's just something that, that companies do now. Has it been, had, had, had the teeth been taken out of it? Has, you know, is that all just PR or is it real? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, clearly there's a lot of environmental work that still needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, one of the goals of the film is just to get people to think, carefully about the best way to get that done and, and you know, what, what the ramifications of different types of tactics are. Do you think that there is a place for more of a radical centered politics, but is less destructive, not actually, you know, destroying things, but 
that same spirit within politics. Uh, because it seems to me like, you know, we're fighting and kind of, you know, there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of people, uh, especially on the left, who are very frustrated with Beltway politics. They feel like it's less democratic. They feel like it's not speaking to them. And that there's this kind of Beltway circle of thinking about a whole range of issues. Do you right. think that radicalism has a place? Um, I guess it depends a lot on how you define radicalism, right? And I know you're, you, there are lots of different ways of, of, of using that word and right. different things that people mean by that word. But um, I certainly think that people being vigorously engaged in, in, in making change is, is very important um, because somebody has to be leading. Somebody has to be pushing the doors open, um, for, for, you know, the rest of us lazy people to, 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 to follow along. So, um, yeah, I, I, I do think so. I, I also think that, um, it's really important for political activists of any stripe, whether they're radical or, or not, um, to think carefully about what their specific goals are and then, to say what's the best way of achieving this goal. And one of the things that, that my experience with the radical scene uh, has, um, uh, one of the things that's kind of struck me is that at least during the 90s, there was a lot of activism that was about self-expression more than about actually trying to achieve a very a specific goal. And I think that's a, that is, um, you know, that's a dangerous trap for people to, to, to keep an eye out for, uh, because self-expression might feel good, but if you're actually interested in making a change, you have to build coalitions with people, um, who are different from you culturally, who are different from you, um, uh, maybe even politically, but who you share some interest with, um, instead of, you know, kind of attacking each other, um, for not being pure or perfect. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, I, I have to say one of the things that, uh, besides uh, touching, uh, this film is uh, in many ways disturbing, especially in the defining of what terrorism is or the defining of what is, you know, an environmentalist in some ways. But especially specific to terrorism, I mean, Daniel McGowan specifically is now in one of those, you know, supermax prisons that they've built for terrorists um and uh i i, I read that he's uh, he's moved from the one in marion illinois to to another in Terre Haute, and right. that it's massively restrictive uh and to the point that i mean it's almost like solitary confinement most of the time so um i mean what do you think that the people can do to actually in some ways move the dial and be able to not only have this discussion in at all, but really tend to say, let's pull this back a little bit. About how we define terrorism. About how we define terrorism and about how we, you know, generally tend to approach civil liberties and, and these issues. Mm -hmm. um, well, I don't know. The, you know, the, that was one of the goals of this film was to try to prompt a discussion about how we define terrorism and to, to, you know, to get people to think about the way that they toss that word around because it's a word that you hear all the time. Um, 
But if pressed, I think probably very few people would have a, a coherent explanation of what they mean by terrorism and, and who qualifies as a terrorist. Um, you know, I can say before I made this film, I would have said that somebody who burned an abortion clinic uh, was a terrorist. Um, and, you know, then when I heard that people who burned a timber facility uh, are terrorists, I thought, oh, that seems kind of a strange use of the word. But that's just me imposing my, you know, political bias on, on that question. And, and so, you know, going through the process of making this film got me to kind of examine that. And, and hopefully, uh, hopefully other people will, will, you know, be challenged in the same way by some of the questions of the film. Definitely, definitely. Um, it, it's, it's pretty interesting, too, to hear, uh, you know, uh, Steve Swanson of uh, Superior Lumber say that he is an environmentalist, like what you were saying before about McDonald's, but then Bill Barton, who was a former logger, saying, but they've cut down 95% of, you know, standing forests. Old-growth forests. Right? Yeah, old-growth forests, and it's like, I mean, it, 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 it's shocking. It's, it's almost in some ways also a study of, of just American vernacular right. uh, in general, uh, this film. So. Somebody, somebody said that they thought the word terrorist uh, was a word that, shit, that created more heat than light. Mm. And there's something I sort of liked about that. It doesn't illuminate. It doesn't help us see things clearly. It just gets people sort of, uh, you know, energized, but, but without, without actually helping to understand. Yeah, and it's, it's pretty disturbing to see, you know, how broad it's become at this point. I mean, it's, it's, it is, it is kind of interesting. I mean, from McGowan's case specifically, he's involved in two property fires and he stops and he gets seven years in prison. I mean, it, it, it just, it's I mean, life prison. I mean, if he hadn't fled, yeah, in life imprisonment, the rest of his life and never walked out. Right. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it sometimes feels like we're, it's, it's like we're in a warped reality, like in a Kafka esque, weird, you know, <laughs> um, story sometimes when we look at law and justice when it comes to that. It, it's, it's, it's odd. And for my last question, um, I'm curious, there's a lot of environmental docs out recently, um, things like The Last Mountain that just released, The Unforeseen, Inconvenient Truth, Gasland. Um, and I'm curious, do you think that these are a part of a new wave or movement of documentaries dealing with environmental issues? Or do you think they're just individuals? And where do you think If a Tree Falls fits in that oeuvre or doesn't fit? Yeah. Um, I think that uh, the environment is an extremely important issue. And, and um, as a res- and you know, filmmakers gravitate towards important, urgent issues. And so I think that's probably the reason that, that we're seeing a lot of films about that right now. Um, if a Tree Falls um, in some ways is an environmental film, um, but I would say it is very different in other ways. Um, it, For one, I think it is less polemical than most of those films. Um, and I'm a big fan of, of all different kinds of films, observational films. I love polemic. I mean, I love Supersize Me, which is a great example of a really well-made polemical film. Um, but uh, but if a tree falls, I think is less about giving an answer 
than it is about hopefully raising a question. And, you know, there's no, there's no email address or, or website or, you know, that comes up at the end to tell you how to get involved. And, and um, in some ways, I think that's frust- that can be frustrating to audiences. It's, um, it, it doesn't tie things up at the end. It sort of leaves you unsettled and uncomfortable and doesn't tell you what to do or where to go or, or how to do it. Um, it just, hopefully what happens is people walk out of the movie and they go to dinner and they argue with each other and something more productive uh, comes out of that. Um, I, I also feel like a lot of the issues that it deals with aren't even environmental. I mean, you could have made the same movie about lots of different groups, about animal rights or about anti-abortion groups or, you know, there are lots of, of, of issues where people feel very passionately and where, um, you know, they need to examine the effectiveness of, uh, of the tactics that they're, that they're taking, uh, that, they're, that they're getting involved in. And, um, uh, and I think it's also um, a story of individual radicalization that could have been about the environmental movement, but it also could be about lots and lots of, of other, um, other causes or issues as well. Awesome. Well, I just want to once again thank you so much uh, for such a really great film. It truly is a treat. I think uh, it's been a pretty solid year for documentaries so far, but your film definitely fits in there as another great one. And uh, it premieres uh, in New York, if you're in New York tonight, uh, the the 22nd um, of June. And then in L.A., it premieres on July 15th, correct? Right. So um, tomorrow it, it, it opens in Eugene, Oregon. So oh wow! Be near Oregon. Uh, you can you can check it out there tomorrow. And it's also going to play on POV on PBS later on in the fall, correct? And uh, right. also on BBC. That's right. Yep, on the BBC. And and our our theatrical run will be San Francisco, LA, Seattle, Portland. Um, probably the best thing is for people to go to our website, which is uh, www if a tree falls film.com. Um, and, uh, and that will list, uh, that'll list, you know, the, the bookings and, and, and where you can go and where you can watch it. It's crazy though. Apparently there is a, a low budget slasher film <laughs> called if a tree falls <laughs> no it way. Just came out last year. And so people who've been looking for our trailer type in if a tree falls and this, and this slasher film trailer comes up and they, it's, so it's, it's got all these comments. I thought this was a movie about the environment. What is, what's going on? But, uh, so we've got a great trailer, but you might need to get to it by going through our website. It's a treefallsfilm.com. That's hilarious. That's awesome. Well, great. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Curry, and good luck. And please, people, I know it's going to play on POV on PBS and BBC, but please go out and see it. Support independent and documentary filmmaking. Uh, it's now more important, more than ever. So uh, we at the Alternative Chronicle always want uh, people to support independent artists like yourself. Thank you so much. (laughs) You're welcome.